guys, welcome back to the Journey Digital Marketing Podcast. I'm joined by Jared Doyle. Uh, he's the founder of Fractal and he's also um, a very, very experienced at marketing. I, it's very, that introduction was so butchered, but I'd probably let him explain a bit more about his experience. <laughs> Uh, look, thank you, Jason. Um, <laughs> look, yeah, I'm, I'm like the old guy of digital marketing, right? So mm. I started doing digital marketing in 1996 and that means I predate Google. And that's the way I always That was say. actually when I was I, born, by the way, 1996. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like... <laughs> my experience is yeah. your life. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So, <laughs> that's crazy. That's, that's, yeah. that's where I'm at. And look, I still do the digital stuff. I, I consider myself like... Um, you know, like a mechanic that still likes to get on the tools. Mm. I think if you get too highfalutin, you get too far away in the clouds and you don't touch things, it doesn't work. But at the mm. same time, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help businesses. I'm trying to help businesses get digital to adapt, to be disruptive, whatever it needs to be, mm. go direct to consumer. I'm trying to get that blend, right? I'm trying to get that blend between digital execution, but mm. I use it for experimentation. Um, and strategy and experience of, of launching my own startups and running my own agencies. So I'm trying to blend all of that together, mm. my my entire your life worth of experience, into like you know consulting for companies, and and that's what I do. So look, mm. we can talk about digital, we can talk about strategy, we can talk about startups, founding companies, whatever you want, we can cover it all. Yeah, yeah. Well, to, to be honest, what the the thing that I'm really interested in because basically what you do is you consult with these companies. Um, build up that you know go to market strategy and everything to the point of them hiring a CMO and then you also like help them build that execution team around it. Is that right? Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I look, so I've run as you know, Jason. I've run uh, a few big digital marketing agencies around the world. Yeah. And and for big corporate clients, it makes sense to outsource all of that work. And look, my personal view on this is that it's absolutely important that brands, medium brands still own their marketing, right? The marketing is mm. still an essential part of your business. And mm. so you can't outsource everything. But at the same time, you also can't necessarily have a, a huge stack of marketers sitting inside a small company, right? So mm. what, what's the mm. compromise? And so my compromise is to be I describe myself as a consultant who rolls his sleeves up, although I'm wearing short sleeves. But the idea is that you, you you come up with a theory, you come up with a strategy, you help advise the business. Mm. And it's not just advising them and saying, oh, this is what I think you should do. It's then taking it and going, okay, now let's go to market and test it. Let's mm. spin up some Facebook ads, run some Google ads. Let's actually see if this stuff works. Mm. Because it's one thing to, to cite a whole lot of reference material, do a whole lot of market research, do some amazing PowerPoint slides and give a big, big deck at the end of it and go, there you go, there's $40,000 worth of work. Mm. I much prefer to come into it and say, well, you could pay for all that and it's really expensive. Or how's about we just keep it really lean? Let's go into market, see if something sticks and then let's go. And if it yeah. does, let's scale it. And when we've scaled it and it's at a point of repetition, then, you know, let's hire the people. Let's, let's, mm. let's bring that skill back in house and you can own your marketing from end to end. Yeah, sure. And I think, um, when you talk about like your, like working with these companies, you've also, you've basically had experience on different sides of the spectrum. You've worked with companies like Xbox and, um, Budweiser and, um, a couple of other big names that I, I forget, but, and then, but now you're working with like these startup companies trying to like build these innovative companies. So I'd love to know like the difference, um, between working with both of them and kind of your experiences, um, you know, trying to build those strategies around them. 
if you can talk to that. Yeah, yeah. So, look, it's interesting. I often, one of the tests I do when I'm talking to a client, and I say this out loud, and anybody listens to it, like, hey, are you giving me this test, Jared? But <laughs> it's a credentials test, right? And yeah. innovative companies are more likely to be impressed by the innovative ideas or strategies of the companies I work with than necessarily the brands. Mm. And so, if someone is more impressed that I did some marketing, some digital marketing for Coca-Cola than they are about how I maybe helped a small startup scale or, or found mm. a, you know, a, a position for a small product, then they're probably a little bit off the market. And look, the reason is, look, Coke was great, but you know, paid search for Coke, digital for Coke, really? I mean, look, mm. the marketing, the brand, the positioning, the strategy, everything was done. I mean, it's Coca-Cola. Like they yeah. have this nailed. I'm just doing the execution. Do I really learn anything? Look, I learned the fundamentals. I learned from the best brand sort of managers out there with a company like Coca-Cola. And mm. I still believe that it's important that people stick to fundamentals of marketing. There's a whole lot of gurus out there that come up with a hack and they're like, eh, it's, a, it's a trick, right? It's not yeah. the fundamentals of marketing and what you need mm. to do with marketing still exists. So you know, I've got that discipline. Um, and look, I think for a lot of them, what they're trying to achieve is a different point. What you're trying to achieve when you're a $50 billion company is very different when you're mm. a $5 company and people get confused. And even, even with um, sort of successful startups, you know, so you've got Netflix or Canva or, or whatever it might be and Uber, you think, Oh, that's what they're doing. That's what I need to do. But you know, their evolution's ahead of where you maybe need to be. Mm. And so dialing that back is, is critical. So, you know, for me, actually the on the ground skills is the experience of working with so many different startups, including my own mm. um, and having that experience and any, my experience matters a lot, right? So I've had success. I've built companies and I've sold them, but I've also had failures where I built companies, I raised money and then I had to leave. Like it just didn't work. Mm. That That's as important. You know, I think I learn more from the failures than I do from the successes, which is, this sounds like such a contrived thing to say, but mm it's really easy to have success and go, Oh, I had success because you know, whatever I did was exactly right. Yeah. It could have been luck. When mm. you fail, you tend to know exactly why you failed. You tend to be able to yeah. drill and go, Oh, that's what I got wrong. You know, somebody repriced the market. They reframed the way we considered something and you go, Oh, I got that completely wrong. Okay, mm. great. You know, to be on one side and say, you know, you can lose a market simply because somebody raises more money and they just outmuscle you. Yeah. When you experience that. It's a lesson you never forget. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened with, I think with you and, is it Zippy? Yeah. 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 Um, so Zippy was a business that I founded oh, gee, in London before I came back to Australia. So it's eight years ago. Yeah. We raised money. Look, there were, there were a lot of mistakes with Zippy. I could, I could talk for half an hour on things that I got <laughs> wrong with Zippy, but yeah. one of the market things that happened was somebody <clears> else <throat> reward all went to market they raised more money. They didn't necessarily have more revenue. They, they didn't really have a revenue model. It was always, mm. oh, we'll get to that later. Yeah. But when they go to market and say, hey, you can have the same product for free, what are we supposed to do? I've got salespeople out there trying to sell a product, you know, oh, yeah. pay, you know, $20 a month. Someone else turns up for free. Well, you lose. It doesn't matter that their business is wrong as well. Yeah. You just lose. Yeah. Um, you know, I won't let that lesson happen again, I guess. Yeah. Well, that, that, how do you overcome that? Cause there's a, there's a quote that I, um, that sticks to my mind. It's like the rule that the fundamental rule in marketing is that the, the one who's willing and able to spend the most money wins. It's like a Ryan Dice quote. Um, and it, it kind of speaks to the situation where this, this person is basically price gouging everyone in the market. 
how as a business do you compete with that? Do you have to come in cheaper? Like, are there any ways you can overcome that? Well, first was that of a bit all, of a complex? Yeah, yeah. So, big question. Um, yeah, look, I always advise against competing on price. Competing on price is yeah. poor man's marketing. Um, you don't want to do that because at the end, there's only one winner. Only one company can yeah. be the lowest. Everybody else is more expensive. So don't get into a price war. Yes, we can look at examples like Amazon who win and win big. Great. But there's one winner. Lots of people who die along the way. Um, getting back to what you're saying, like what do you do if someone comes in with more money? Well, you got to work out a strategy to survive and you generally have to find a strategy which is to niche down, right? So mm. the best way to counter that is to be niched. Um, look, I wouldn't necessarily say the people who spend more money win, but better marketing will win. So, okay, here's my complete bias as a marketer mm. is a better marketing will win over a better product, right? The yeah. reality is that Coca-Cola is the brand we're speaking about. It, it's not a better cola drink. It just mm. isn't. It's just a better brand. You yeah. know, even Coca-Cola's internal testing against Pepsi showed that Pepsi was a preferred taste yeah, blind test right, yeah. from Coca-Cola customers. Straight up, they knew their product wasn't as good. Yeah. They brought out new Coke, people hated it. You go, okay, so branding, marketing wins. Is more money better? Yes, there is a point where you can just mm. crush competition. Mm. However, we live in a world where the generalist and the, so, so it takes a broad view of a market, can always be beaten by people who are niched in a market. So whatever market you're in and you go, okay, that's cola, but we're going to be um, high performance cola or no sugar cola. You can see how you can break those things down. Sure, and then you can sure. be, you can be the uncola. So I'm going to be the caffeinated lemonade or I'm going to be, you know, the caffeinated water or whatever it happens to be. Mm. You can break these markets down. That's why these FMCG brands have to produce so many different lines of products to compete. Mm. So you can always find a niche. And so, you know, if, like Zippy was a loyalty rewards thing for small businesses. Great. What if we just did it for cafes or we just did it for butchers or hairdressers? Mm, yeah. Just the art or the act of saying that you're a specialist for that makes a difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. And look, you know, to talk about like our disciplines. So we started, so my personal professional branding is that I'm a startup marketer. That's generally what I do in, I sort of say to people, okay, um, there's lots of marketers out there. If you're going around Brisbane or Australia, there's lots of marketers and you go, oh, you know, is Jared the best or the worst? Well, maybe it's all debatable, right? I'd like mm. to think that I'm pretty good, but there's always going to be other people around. And you put that on one axis of a positioning chart and you go, okay, there are big agencies who've got way more budget, more staff and can mm. probably burn money for a lot longer than me. All right, let's take another axis and say, okay, startups. So marketing, okay, Jared's on the curve. I like to think I'm up the top of the line, sure. but yeah, maybe I'm midway. But the minute you draw another axis on this positioning map and that says startups, then you go, okay, who has founded any startups, let alone three startups? And who's worked with startups exclusively for the last three years, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there's pretty much only Jared left, you know? Mm. So there might be other people with more startup experience. Great. But as a marketer, they're way over here. And so I've created a position for my place in, in a space to say, if you're a startup, anyone new mm. marketing, Jared's the best. Now yeah. that sounds arrogant to say it, but that's the thing. And so am I the biggest agency? No. Am I the best at digital? No. But the combination of marketing and startups in, you know, Australia or probably or definitely Brisbane. Mm. Yeah. I'm the guy because I've got that experience. And so yeah. 
Yeah, if you find yourself in any business, be it marketing or you're running a product or whatever it is, and you can create a second axis and say, okay, look, there's lots of cafes, but I'm the only, you know, I specialize in vegans or I do, I'm the high protein cafe. Yeah, yeah. Paleo cafes. Like these things exist. And then you're like, oh, you win. You mm. win that market. When yeah. you're the protein cafe and you're right next to an F45 and then on the other side, there's just a Starbucks. Mm. What do you think all the F45 trains are going to come out? Are they going to go to Starbucks or go to the protein cafe? Yeah, yeah. They're going to go to the protein cafe. Yeah. And so I think that there's that, something that people don't, uh, people need to realize is that people are willing to pay a premium for something that's like specialized and like, you know, specific to their solution, right? Like, yeah. and, and not only that, the, the, the trick of marketing for a lot of this is just to say that you are. It's mm. just, so you can be the specialist just by not doing other things, right? So you can, mm. you can, you don't actually have to be better at one thing. You just have to say you don't do something else. Mm. So there's plenty of brands out there that say, hey, you know, we're a hard beer brand. We don't cater to hippies. Great. That's their positioning. <laughs> is it any different? No. Yeah. You know, they just, they just do things in their marketing that upsets another mm. part of the market. Yeah. So, that's, I mean, look, I think the combination of products, good product positioning and good marketing is the best, mm. like that's going to win. But the wonderful thing about marketing is that you can just represent something and then that's what it is, mm. you know? Yeah. So for the most part, people can't tell the difference between the actual product. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think like what, um, what, what happens though, if you, are in the exact same niche as another business. And then like, how important is speed in like, you know, getting your message out? Because I think that I read a, um, a very interesting, like, I think it was a post. I think it might've been your post or something, but you mentioned like, it's not about um, like first move advantage. It's actually about speed and getting your voice in the mind of the customer first. Right. Because yeah. once, once you've basically positioned yourself as that number one player, you are no longer in competitive, um, you know, competing with anyone else. You've basically got that position. So how important is speed um, in, in yeah, this whole so, equation? Yeah. So yeah, well, you know, you kind of uh, paraphrased me there. I think I'm paraphrasing other people. Of course, it's not my idea, but, <laughs> yeah. but first, first to market that nobody knows about. So what, you know, you're the bear in the forest, right? Yeah. <laughs> Look, I was first, but no one knew about it. So it is about being first to market um, and making enough noise that people know about it establishing a brand foothold, establishing yourself as the leader in that market and the brand. And then it's up to everybody else to challenge you. you know, mm. That is the key. And you can, if you establish that rep reputation, everyone will have to challenge you. Um, and you know, it's different. It's different to defend a position than it is to, to be a challenger. So mm. it's perfectly viable to be a challenger in the market and sort of say, okay, they're the market leaders. So you can pick them unless you want to do this. So, okay, Uber's the leader, but we're Sheba and we do it. Uh, we have uh, female drivers and female passengers. Awesome. You've just carved that out. Mm. Um, I think that's, you know, I was chatting to someone yesterday about koala mattresses and it's the same kind of thing. Mm. It's how do you position, so you pick a fight with Ikea. Ikea is huge. Yeah. You pick a fight, you carve out a market. And then what happens is Koala became the leader in what industry didn't exist, but you now the, the, the bed in a box. And so they have to change. They can't pick as many fights now. They have mm. to defend that position. So I, to, to answer your question exactly, look, the best in any market, in any niche, wins a disproportionate amount of any industry. And mm. so that represents itself in the chap called um, Ziff. Um, I can never say it over a microphone, but Z-I-P-F. 
um, and Ziff's law. And yep. Ziff's law states that at any um, fluid competitive market, that the winner of that market will win a disproportionate amount of it. Mm. And he came up with this idea that in a fluid market, an open market with enough competitors, I think it was about 15% of the market will go to the number one player, the winner mm -hmm. of that market. And second place will get seven and a half, and third will get three and a half, and then it's 1.75. And, and you just, basically it's a curve and it just drops away exponentially. So each mm. position of the market wins half as much as the position before. And so it's not winner takes all, but winner takes most. And the problem is, is that people too comfortably sit back in position seven, taking a small slice of a market when they'd be better off saying, Hey, let's redefine the market, make it smaller, take a big slice of that. And the best way to visualize that is to go, look, if you're looking for someone to do, I'll talk about myself again, cause it makes it easy. If you're looking for someone to do startup marketing, you want the best, right? So mm. if you, Jason, you go out and go, someone goes, I've got to start up. I need some help with some strategy and some marketing. You know, who should I speak to? You're not going to say, well, Jared's the best, but I'm going to recommend my third favorite. Like, like yeah. I go, what the hell? Like, why, why are you not recommending Jared? Mm. Same with restaurants. You don't go out and go, Hey, would you like to go out to my third favorite Indian restaurant? It's like, it's yeah, like yeah. you may as well punch him in the face, right? <laughs> Everyone assumes you're saying the best. I've already put the qualifier, which is Indian. Yeah. You know, let's, let's do that. Right. So, mm. but if you want to say, let's go out to my favorite cheap Indian restaurant, it's mad value. That's great. That can be the same one that was your third favorite Indian, mm. but it's also cheap. Right. So you want to be the recommendation and the recommendation is always the best. And so you have to be the best at something. If you're always third and fourth, you're never going to get those recommendations and you're going to, you're going to mm. suffer. So, you know, race out, make people aware of where you are establish a foothold and then defend that. Yeah. And if you have to, and if you start getting, look, the risk is if you get too big, then people can start carving you up. If you become Uber, then you know that you, people can take a slice out of you. But yeah, sure. generally speaking, Uber's still going to do 90% or whatever it is, 70% of the rides in, in Australia because they're the market leader. Mm. That actually like, that makes me think about all these businesses that are kind of trying to do the same thing, but also uh, businesses that think just because they say something, um, it doesn't mean that they necessarily are that because I think you bring up a really good point. You to kind of stand out in a market, you can niche, you can niche down, you can be different. You can be the vegan cafe. You can be the paleo cafe, but it also just because you say it doesn't mean that you are. And I kind of think about there's cause all I see on Facebook is like these e-commerce businesses trying to be like Gymshark selling, um, act leisure, you know, they're basically the same thing. They, and they, they talk about, you know, um, where, where this type of company, we are this, we are different because of this. But to be honest, when I look at it, like from my perspective, they all look the same. Like, can you speak to that about like, just because you say something, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are. And how do you actually position yourself? How do you really niche down to actually convince customers that you are what you say you are? Yeah. So oh, look, I mean, you can say you are something to a certain degree and people will buy into that. Right. So mm. there's some truth in that. Yeah. But people will ultimately see through, um, I guess a lack of authenticity. Mm. And so for me, look, the most important marketing skill to have is empathy, mm. empathy of what your target market, your potential customers are looking for. What do they want? Where are they at? So, mm. you know, you think about active wear, look, there's an oversaturation of active wear in the super fit market. So people who are really, really fit, 
Yeah. But where I see it being interesting is that next level, right? So what is it to be, mm. you know, you think about um, like shapewear, you know, that's a different type of active wear and, and the difference between active wear that is actually sports performance or it's fashion first. And, and mm. there's different levels of these things. And I, I think it is just about recognizing what is the problem that you're solving and being really true to that. Mm. And if you can do that with an empathetic approach and it's real, then it, then it makes a lot of sense. I, I think um, some people try to focus too much on the distinction between like some of the emotions around the you know, active wear brands. They try to get a little bit too niche in particular things. And like, they, you know, it's like perfumes. That's want to be slightly different, but it, it's not that kind of market. I just think there's so many opportunities to be completely different. I just, I look at things and go, where's the active wear brand that's positioned for like the over 40 dad bod kind of thing, right? Mm. Like just totally different. Yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah. Okay. It's great. We get the sexy images of like perfect people. There's a brand online, like this is slightly different, but there's an underwear brand, Australian brand it does called um, step one. And they're mm. just like Lycra um, short underpant things for like men. Like it's just, it's mm. just, it just exists. They're kind of like, they're not high performance. They're not pretending or anything. The guys in the mm. ad are big, right? They're not, yeah. <laughs> these are not high performance athletes, not really, but it's a kind of active wear brand. And you go, mm. that's a niche, right? That's, that's something you can go after. And I think um, for me, that that's the key thing. It's kind of going, oh, okay, I've got a different demographic. They've got different problems. Too many people cram in and really their inspiration was they want to be like another brand. If the reason you launch is you want to be like another brand, where's your driving force? Where's your reason mm. for being? And you can imagine what's their mission statement. It's going to, their mission and vision is going to be so contrived. It's going yeah. to be sort of, oh, really? What do you want to do? Oh, I kind of just wanted to have a brand like that other brand. Like I just wanted to copy them, but I wish I, wish I was them. It's like, mm. well, that's not going to work, right? So, yeah. you know, mission and vision statements, sure, you know, slightly contrived sometimes, consultants' dreams. But, you know, why did you start the business? Why did you get into it? Um, and if you can be really true to that, mm. I think you will find a market. Um, so I, I don't get the oversaturization in these smaller markets. Yeah. Um, there's brands that are already out there leading it. Um, there's demographic separation between the different brands. Um, you know, I was just looking at Lululemon. You know, I, I look at like, I look at women's activewear and you just sort of have these Lululemon, Lorna Jane, um, Michelle Bridges, you know, it's like, you yeah, know, like three all, tiers yeah. and, and they're class tiers and they're different and the price is way, way different. Yeah. But I do look at Lululemon and go, I don't think I'm ever going to see um, an Olympian tearing down a track wearing Lululemon. Like it doesn't make sense, right? That's mm -hmm. not where they're, that's not where they're positioned. That market still exists for your, you know, your Nike, your Adidas, etc. right? Sure. So they have that market. You can take that and go, what's the difference between someone walking around a Westfield shopping center. If, if one lady is wearing Lululemon and one's wearing uh, Nike, like it's different. It says mm. something different, but on a track and field, it's the opposite. If someone gets out, so Lululemon is going to be the more sophisticated money. Maybe it's more appropriate. I mean, I'm still on the fence about the appropriateness of active wear out in society, but yeah. let, let's put that aside. <laughs> it's different, right? So going shopping in your active wear and the brand you wear is totally different to being on the track. So whilst Lululemon's like super expensive and it's a real show off brand walking around a Westfield, great. You go out to the track and line up wearing Lululemon, you're going to get laughed at. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's about being fit for purpose. So look, you know, my main thing is around 
empathy of the customer, you know, carve out the mission, understand really what they want to do. I think if you can do that, you can be right. But mm. too many people <laughs> try to copycat. And I think look, the, the problem with the copycat is that people believe, getting back to Ziff's law, is that, oh, I'll just get 1%, right? All these brands mm. are 1%. And it's like the 1% marketing fallacy, this idea that, oh, just 1% of people buy my product and not all these other activewear brands, then I'll be rich. And like, yeah, but why that 1%? Mm. Like people don't just trip over and fall in and go, oh, look, I've added it to my basket. I might as well buy That doesn't happen. Mm. So why did that 1%? So if you do happen to find that 1%, find out who they are and then make that your business and then become the leader and then expand from there. Mm. And, and look, the reality with brands and expansion is that, you know, there isn't, I don't believe a brand out there that didn't start in a niche. So, you know, we've spoken mm. about um, Coca-Cola, we've spoken about Nike or Adidas. Yeah. Um, they all started super niched. And then as you win that really engaged evangelistic market, you can expand. X track runners. Like it's a, it was such a niche market. And now you look at, everywhere they're going right so you can mm. do that but you don't get to start and to, to the point we made at the beginning with these big brands nike has earned the right to have a huge market like they're sorry i think my my uh internet connection's unstable i think are we all good yeah we're back now i can hear great <laughs> yeah i think it might have been me to be honest um the internet connection is a bit unstable sorry about that i think it cut out for a bit <clears throat> um, anyway um we can we'll, we'll we'll chop it and edit it. We'll come back and we'll like yeah yeah. We'll so so we we are back. So <laughs> so I think you're you're kind of talking about um like yeah that that one percent law like the Ziff's law about how there's a fallacy between people um thinking that if they only get one percent right if they only get one percent but reality is yeah. you you really need to niche down and figure out like that core customer base and then from there then you can expand right because exactly um, yeah. I think even like Gymshark, I think Gymshark's a really good example because they recently became a billion dollar company. But essentially what they were doing was they came out to the market and they wanted to um, like develop a product that was like f like fit and like tight for like the, those really fit people. I don't think there was a product around like that, um, especially not using e-com. And then from there, they they found their core customer list and it just kept expanding to the point where everyone and everyone was, was wearing Gymshark. So... Um, yeah, what would you say to those people though, that are like building businesses with no different, no point of difference, but yeah, I literally just doing it for the sake of money. Like what's the, look, I mean, sometimes those businesses work, but it comes down to network and scale and sales and pushiness. And, and yeah. to me, that's not, that's not the kind of business I like working with. So I, I like mm. to work with founders who have uh, a real vision. And I just think, I think we're not in a market anymore where that works, right? So, yeah. you know, 
back back in the olden days, so before you were born, Jason, everyone used to watch the same television shows. So, you know, yeah. in Australia, everyone on a Saturday night would get around the TV and you could watch Hey Hey and Saturday. That was like the last of the everyone watched it shows. That doesn't exist anymore. We're not mm. all homogenized. We're not all considered the same. And so I just don't think you can get away with that anymore. I don't think there is another mass consumer brand that's going to be able to launch the way it used to do. You know, these mm. brands that are established now, that's kind of it. Like they've got to, you've got to, now got to grow differently. So, mm. yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a market for it. I think that time has passed and I, I don't think the generations coming through will even accept that it's, it's, there's no even concept about conforming and being normal. It's about being, no, I expect to find exactly what I need for me. Yeah. And so I think anyone who's launching a business and thinks they can apply 1980s marketing models is just kidding themselves. It's just not going to happen again. Mm. So, so, no, so what, uh, what would you say to the, to those business owners that have been around for 20, 30 years? And there's, there's obviously a shift in the digital space to, um, you know, everyone using technology, social media and stuff, basically like marketing is congruent with digital marketing. It's basically the same thing these days. Like what would you say to these people using old business models, like outdated marketing? Cause I speak to a lot of founders and they talk about, you know, oh, we do like pamphlet drops and you know, like a guerrilla marketing tactics. You know what I mean? Like what's your, yeah, look, I think the rate of disruption and disruption is not a good thing, right? As a general rule, mm. <laughs> disruption is messing people's lives up. So that I know I don't, I don't aspire to, to disruption, mm. but the speed of disruption and change in the market is so fast that, you know, if you don't adapt and evolve, then you've got no chance. And so mm. smart companies know that. And if you look at the big companies now, the biggest, the highest value companies in the world now, Amazon, Google, Facebook are constantly innovating and adopting an apple and they're trying to change they're trying to learn new things they are not standing still mm. you know you, you classic story of netflix you know they they were still they had a great business but they're willing to adapt and move mm. google will always try new products and fail facebook has launched a number of products that just fail they keep launching failed products but they know they have to keep doing it because mm. if you stand still eventually someone's going to get you and so this idea that just because you're successful now means you're going to be successful into the future has never been more false than mm. it is today and you know for me that's what i'm seeing the rising tide of businesses who are saying i think we need to do something different mm. um, and look, there are businesses always the last business standing right there's always that last retailer that last business that's able to hold on and get there right to the end until they're not mm. and you know if nothing else the, the aging population and generational shifts will mean mm. that eventually those businesses will disappear and it's going to happen and you can hold on for a while and people talk about you know Often the last brand, the last say retail brand that survives does quite well for a while until mm. they don't. Yeah. I, you know, I, honestly, I look at JB Hi-Fi and go, it's a great brand. Like they mm. are doing so well of all the people out there, they're doing really well. But I can't, like, if they don't innovate, if they don't keep going and keep adapting, eventually they will lose. They are winning now as mm. everybody else disappears, but eventually they will lose on that model because they cannot buy that many square foot at a Westfield and those big stores and attempt to compete with online retailers for mm. commoditized goods. Like it just cannot work. Yes, you yeah. can be the last and they're doing well at the moment, but unless, you know, if they stay the same, I'd bet heavily against them in 10 years because mm. they're going to need to innovate. Will they? They may well do, right? You can't bet again. I mean, businesses can change and you can adapt and you can be the last one. But sure. I think, you know, Kogan and that approach has shown and Amazon has shown that, 
you know, yeah. you just can't compete. And again, as we said before, like just don't compete on price. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it really, <clears throat> it kind of reminds me of like these outdoor furniture companies as well, like retailers, yeah. you know, yeah. everybody's buying online these days and it, it's very, very hard to compete. And I think like, is there any way these companies with not necessarily a flawed business model, an outdated one, is there any way these companies can compete through like innovative marketing? Is there, or is yeah, it just shifting absolutely. to digital? Oh no, absolutely. Look, it, 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 you can absolutely, if you've got the brand, you've got the legacy, you can mm. absolutely still compete in this market and you've got mm. the opportunity to beat anybody else into it. Mm. So you can be, I mean, we spoke about Lululemon, right? They are crushing it with their e-com because they were ready and they were building that business up and they were moving mm. away from retail, control the end to end. And yeah, they're in a much better place. If you've got a brand and you've got trust mm. at the moment in retail stores and your outdoor furniture, you can absolutely leverage that trust and experience and that brand and that market leading position to be better than anybody else. Mm. You know, reimagine what you're doing. Is, is retail about actually moving units or is retail now about experience? You know, mm. there's a whole thing need to change. In other words, what if, you change from the idea of it being retail to just being showrooms. So, cause it kind of like that anyway, but they pretend, right? So if I turn up yeah. to an outdoor furniture company and say, like, that's the table I want. And then they say to me, oh, six to eight weeks to get it delivered. Yeah. You just sort of think, hang on. So you're it's slower right than online. <laughs> I've gone in, it's there. Why can't I have it? Yeah. Like that, that's a, that's such a bad experience. And I, my outdoor table <laughs> outside, that was actually the case. Now we were kind of locked in. It luckily got here just before last Christmas and we were kind of okay, but I was like, that was a bad experience. Yeah, yeah. If, if I went and just got to experience a massive showroom, see everything that I wanted, got the support and everything, and then you just buy, and then it gets delivered like an online experience. That's different. And I, mm. look, I, I spoke about Westfield. I kind of imagine that Westfield will ultimately become something that's full. Like they'll have their anchor tenants ten at either end and everyone in between is going to be a brand. It's going to be an experience. And you're going to mm. go in to the Nike store, the Adidas store, the Lululemon, the Lorna Jane, the Bose, the Apple store. And look, you could buy something there, but it's more about, being in the experience mm. about having people support you and then making the transaction elsewhere. And if you're an end to end, if you're direct to consumer, you can do that. If you're Apple, you don't care. If I walk out of that store, go online and buy it. I don't care. It's the same thing. If I'm Bose, I don't care. It's the same thing. If I'm Lululemon, I don't care. There's still mm. a place for tangible, but I think it's more about experience than it is about the actual stack of high products. Yeah. And I think you can, if you're in that position, you've got the brand, absolutely. You can do something with it, but it's really hard. If you're a publicly traded company, you've got margins, you've got a hit, you've got a model that's baked in and you haven't got a culture that allows for flexibility and innovation. It's like, let's just mm. keep doing the same thing. Cause it kind of works. You yeah. just slowly spiral and then it just disappears. Yeah. Um, and that's, and, and that's the thing, right? It's about staying in your lane. If you step mm. outside lane and you're wrong, people smack you in the head. It's like, yeah. So that people don't take the risk. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And uh, I mean, not to mention like the massive lease, like overheads and stuff. It's it's like extremely hard for these businesses to operate continuously. Like think like well, Toys R Us and stuff like that, for example. You know what I mean? Like yeah. these companies. You know what what happens when you don't shift and you know innovate? Then you know you can definitely like spiral out of control, kind of thing. Yeah, I look, I look at a film coming like Toys R Us, and I think, well, <clears throat> why would I go? I think a big part for a company like that is if you know exactly what you want, someone else is going to sell it to you cheaper with a margin, right? So if you want mm. a particular toy, a particular remote control car, whatever it happens to be, someone else is going to sell it cheaper. Mm. Once I know what it is, 
So what do you do? Like, what, where is the value add? And, and I think, look, there are some toy shops in London that are absolutely magical. And it's about the experience. And so for me, I mean, if I was you know, off the top of my head, if I was walking into a toy company, I'd be like, well, it's about the recommendation. It's about mm. the gifting of toys. So who buys the most amount of toys? It's usually gifts. And so it's like, you know, Jason, you probably don't know the perfect toy for an 11-year-old girl. Mm. But at some point, you might be kind of out there doing it. Will you pay a premium for that advice to make that happen? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Like, you'll probably do that, right? There is a value in someone helping you mm. find the right toy for an 11-year-old niece, right? Until yeah. you've had that experience. But even if, even if you know, I, I look back and go, as my kids grow up, I, I kind of forget what they wanted as well. So there's still value to be had. There's still advice to be given. Um, but it, you've got to be willing to change. And uh, I just can't see how that's going to happen. I just don't yeah. think... We're in this, you know, sounds contrived to say it, but like the information age. I mean, it's like anyone can find this stuff. It's not that hard anymore. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think we've, we've been talking for a while, so I'm going to wrap it up soon, but I think I'd want to end it on one last thing. Um, Can you like innovate, build that brand and everything without a budget? I think that's a lot of startups in that same scenario. They obviously don't have the ability to, um, to spend a lot of money on, you know, just running some Facebook ads. You know what I mean? Like they're in bootstrap mode. They're trying to get their product off the ground. Can you like get your foot in the door, really like um, solidify your place in the market without any budget? You have to have some, right? Yeah. Okay. We're in a, we're even, even spinning up a Shopify store, like by the time you pay your, your fees, your dues, you, start, like you have some budget. You do have yeah. to have something. Can you do it without mass media? Yes, and you probably should. You probably, mm. you probably should do it that way. So mm. I think what I would say is work out the most budget. Like find some budget, find the smallest, smallest possible niche you can, and then be mm. a really, really big brand to, the, to that market. Mm. So, you know, I don't care how many times you have to slice the market down. You just want to get to a stage where you go, this is the market that I go after. And to those mm. people, and it might not be many, I'm the most important thing. And then you don't need much budget to go after. You need something, you know, the days of organic reach on Facebook are long gone. Mm. Instagram's quickly disappearing. Um, yeah, maybe you can do TikTok, but let's be realistic <laughs> about it. Like it's, yeah. it's going to be a very fragmented market. Sure. Um, so yeah, look, you need some, um, mm. but you can be a big brand in the eyes of a very small number of people. And if you can pull that off, you're usually mm. going to get a foothold yeah. and then you can just start expanding from there. So like mm. whatever your niche is, whatever your target market is, if you're struggling to make enough impact in that market, cut it down, cut mm. it down. I'm, I'm still yet to find somebody who's niched down to the right level with still a viable market. I've had people in a market that doesn't exist. <laughs> like zero people are interested. That's yeah. happened to me before. My clients turn up and I go, there is literally no market for this. Yeah. But but most people who have a market and they know people are buying, they usually can afford to niche down more and find some efficiencies. Mm, for sure. Now, that's really good, Jared. Um, I think we'll probably leave it at that. Uh, if anybody is interested in, you know, marketing for their startup or, you know, trying to build their go-to-market strategy or something, where can they find you? Um, so my company name is fractal, F-R-A-C-T-A-L.com.au. Mm-hmm. 
but that's just a name. Really, it's me, Jared Doyle. Um, LinkedIn is the best place. I tend to post most stuff there. Um, I've got a podcast, Fractal Marketing. You can hear more of my ramblings on that. Um, but honestly, reach out on LinkedIn, say I listened to you or I saw you chatting to Jason. Um, that's good enough. I won't, I won't block you and report you for spamming me. Connecting. <laughs> and then, um, and, and I'll always, I'm always open for a chat with a business owner. Mm. You know, I'm always happy to have that non-salesy, Let's yeah. have a half hour chat and talk about something because um, I enjoy what I do. Like I love these chats. I do it all the time. Mm. I just need to sometimes make sure I get paid for it. But if I didn't need money, I would do this all day long yeah, for free. For sure. Same here. I think, <laughs> I think we're both in the same uh, bucket there. So awesome. All right. Thanks for your time, Jared. Appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.